Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a De Beer. G'day and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show, the podcast that's getting you over the game line on everything to do with Australian rugby. I'm Matt Rowley. I'm guiding you here tonight. Um, I'm being joined by a couple of our stalwarts. For a minute there, we thought there was going to be maybe even four of us. It was almost like a Green and Gold Rugby traffic jam. Um, but uh, late dropout, uh, our usual um, Guy Smiley, uh, Reg. But um, I'm joined here by uh, two... Very, very worthy replacements coming in on as finishers tonight. Um, first of all, Hugh, good night, mate. How are you? I'm good. It's a bit fitting, given given what happened on the weekend, that we have a late dropout. Um, you know, <laughs> Reg, you, you debate whether Reg is in the top three Green Gold Rugby podcasters, but certainly uh, is uh, he'd be in the top five. Uh, so... Oh. <laughs> I think he gets better performances, maybe just not quite so often. Um, well, depending on how well we're playing, I guess, um, or how well the Reds are playing usually. Um, and then also joining us, I think he's in the country for who knows how long. Um, but it's uh, Jamie, mate. Jamie Miller, how are you, mate? Well, I was doing much better before Hugh just stole my joke right there and there. <laughs> I was, I was going to make the exact same connection to Reg's absence and half of our team missing on Saturday, but now I've got nothing, which is not unusual for me. So I'm just going to sit here with my Shiraz and um, and just sulk, basically. Okay, and just quaff. Um, yeah, exactly. All right, well, well, good to have you two boys uh, on board. And here's what we're going to be ripping through tonight. We've got our five burning questions. Number one, was that an improved performance by the Wallabies this weekend? We got a win, but was the, was the performance actually better uh, than the two losses against the All Blacks? Number two, is the Bill Tamua combo worth persevering with? Number three, what will the Wallabies have to do to beat the Pumas? Number four, what's wrong with the rugby champs? I don't know what you're talking about there, Hugh. I mean, Hugh's uh, written a great article that's on the uh, site um, the last couple of days. Um, and so Hugh can defend that. Uh, and number five, we're just going to go around the grounds. Uh, what's going on? Um, I think Reg had here in the notes that it's going to be a massive game of schoolboy rugby in Briz this weekend. Um, and then there's also the NRC. Could that outdraw the Wallabies? I think that's a probably folds back into point four as well. So uh, let's kick off. First of all, was that an improved performance by the Wallabies? Hmm, how do I feel? Do I want to start with light or do I want to start with shade? Start I with think... light. Start with light. <laughs> but then there's both the speeding up on him. Hugh, was it a better performance on the weekend, mate? Oh, look, um, it, it was in the sense that we won. Uh, and I think that was the important thing. And, and I think the sub sub answer to that is probably yes, but I don't really care. Um, at this stage, I think with our three best players dropping out, you know, the, on the day of the game or the or the night before, I think to come out and get a win like we did was was a um, was was a pretty good performance, and I'm pretty happy with it. I mean, obviously it was a scrappy game, and it's not one I particularly want to watch again, um, but it was enough to you know bring a bit of steel back into the into the side and a bit of faith back into the jersey it was one for the true believers and 
um, you know, obviously the Springboks are about 16 levels below the All Blacks. Um, and playing at home, we probably should have won by a bit more. And the back line was a bit clunky and the forwards, um, you know, uh, were stumbling at set piece and, and really didn't get a huge amount of, of ground elsewhere. But somehow with all those faults, we managed to come through with a, with a win and, and actually um, hold out the Springboks there late. And, and that you know, after the month that we've had is, is, um, was, was much needed and to just come through by the skin of our teeth, um, you know, was something that made me smile on a Saturday night and made me smile on a Sunday. So I think, you know, Wallaby fans needed that one and I'm, I'm, I'm happy as we are in this podcast to get into the nitty gritties of it all and, and, and pick it apart. But, um, I think, I think the top line thing is for all the negativity in our in our game, and, and especially seems to be an annual event after the Bledisloe Cup to have the, the gnashing of teeth that takes place. But um, it, 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 it's just good to see a, a Wallaby win in front, of a, in front of a home crowd. It was So, so the answer is probably yes, but, but not, not particularly a huge improvement. But uh, it was enough to put a smile on my face. So just before I go to Jamie, and I haven't pre... Um, I mean, we haven't really talked about this, so I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a giant bucket of cold water from Jamie, maybe not. Um, but just talking about those late uh, withdrawals, just how much of a surprise could it have been about Izzy Folau and David Pocock? Because they were both long-standing injuries, and I think there's quite a few people who are kind of a bit puzzled by the idea that, I mean, surely you would have known those two guys. I understand Adam Coleman was his wife um, uh, dropping a sprog, uh, which you can understand, but... Um, the other two guys, I would have thought people would have had a pretty damn good idea. I mean, I don't know how much training they were doing. Has anyone, either of you guys, heard or read much about that? Because I think that was the thing which you kind of thought couldn't have been that much of a surprise uh, to the Wallabies. Yeah, yeah but I heard it was 50-50 even on Thursday and that originally the diagnosis was for a month and the game was two weeks later. So I, I agree, Matt. There had to be at least some thought that he wasn't going to make it. I, I suppose... I... Uh, my point was not, you know, obviously the organisational f- factors is one thing, but I mean, you know, you can, it's still David Pocock and Israel Folau, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you know or not, and, and yet, look, they were named in the team and, and then dropped out late, and, and you'd hope that they were planning for that, but still, you know, um, Pete Samu and, and um, Jack Maddox coming in are really, you know, speaking of the Springboks, how far below the All Blacks are, probably it's about the same gap between David Pocock and Israel Folau and, and Pete Samu and Jack Maddox, I think. So, yeah, that speaks to the, to the level of performance that, that we didn't have those, you know, two truly world-class players fronting up for our team. Okay. So, Jamie, where, how did you see it? Was it a better performance than versus the All Blacks? You know, I'm, I'm really going to surprise everyone here, and I'm going to agree with you. Um, it, Great. You know, given those given those late withdrawals, it was an impressive performance. Um, I'd actually just come from watching the Swans uh, at, at the SCG, which was quite possibly the worst game of AFL I've ever seen. And this was a slightly better game of rugby, though I am definitely not going to watch it again. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think what Hugh's saying is, is the full picture. I mean... I think we've got to take into account just how bad the Springboks were. I mean, they were just awful. They had no cohesion in the back line. They made lots of errors. They had no structure, no creativity. In the second half, they didn't offer anything at all, and yet they still nearly won. They were one accurate refereeing decision away from winning. 
and you know it's just it's just classic that we couldn't quite manage to put ourselves way past them because they were just just woeful. So I think both of those things are true. I think it was impressive and gutsy to get the win, but we also should have won by a lot more given how bad the opposition were. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think we had a bit of a <laughs> you and I had a bit of a face off in our chat uh, during the week, not personal. Um, but just it was, pretty, it was pretty close to like a fist fight, really. I mean, it was it was getting <laughs> heated. <laughs> um, but look, I it's uh, I see where he was coming from. I too was happy to get the W, um, and only because I mean, God, that you know, going sinking to another level of you know self. Well, even though I'm, I'm about to do some self introspection, but anyway, another level of self-loathing and then the, the, the headlines just turning into is checker going to go and we know he's not going to just a, a massive waste of time so I'm very happy that didn't happen and it was just good to see some a smile on the guys faces and see them get that I really I think you could start to see in their play a lot of the pressure come onto them about what would happen if they didn't because um, just looking into a black yet another sort of black hole um, as far as and I and I hear the thing around yes I mean geez you know, our two, probably two biggest players out in um, Pocock and Falau, and then Coleman probably in terms of importance, in terms of grunt and go forward and and sort of in defensive starch, uh, also a massive hit. But so you, you try and take those guys out and say, okay, minus those guys, you know, what did the team shape look like and, and how are things moving? And I just think there's so much that's just not right. Don't get me wrong, I think there was some... Obviously, some determination showed by the team, um, you know, some definite willingness in, 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 in defence. But I think Czech actually said it at half-time in, in the comments, you know, where he was just saying there just wasn't the speed of alignment in attack or defence in the first half. Um, they seemed well off the pace. He himself seemed to think that was more of an attitude thing um, than anything else. Um, and I think that was a massive problem. I think there's a massive problem in the Wallabies sort of attacking rhythm, tempo, and, and, and general shape. It is, it's got no cut through, it's got no bite, it's got no pace, it's got no tempo. And I think the thing that we've lost sight of here is Genia is back to his, uh, and, and this is really interesting because I think, for example, Reg called that Genia was one of the best players. In terms of individual brilliance around the field at times, uh, and in some of his darting runs, yes. In terms of his primary role as a nine, connecting a breakdown with with the back line and having with uh, with runners coming onto the ball. Have you noticed? And this is where we got to before with with Genia. Have you noticed there is nobody running onto the ball? No one is able to take a ball in anything more than a standing start. And we've got here before with him because. There's a beat um, that he takes, and, you, and you, you're never quite sure if he's going to, you know, take it or not. You can't run onto the ball with him, and and if you can't do that, and, and especially if there's that extra beat and time for the defence to get in place, you go nowhere. You get lined up and you go backwards, and that's what we're doing. And I'm every single Queenslander listening to this is going to start howling and saying, "No, Matt, that's not Will's fault. That's the Fords because they're not punching forward and getting over the game line." I'll agree with you. We've got a problem in getting front foot. We don't have, um, um, you know, a lot of players who can do that, but it's also chicken and egg. You can give a very big guy ball when, when he's on his flat-footed, and it's going to be very hard for him to get over the game line, especially in international rugby. You've got to play with tempo. You've got to get every chance you can to get 
um, the defense on the in the back foot, um, and we're not doing it. Uh, I'm just kind of looking to go to my back to the, my flow. I basically just in no particular order. Here are the things that I have problems with. Maddox isn't up to it at an international level. Um, he's, you know, I think we saw that. Uh, it's not so bad in defence. I think in attack, uh, there's problems. Corbetti is more of a liability than a genius. Um, I think Samo actually did show some quality and some go forward. I thought we we still looked fairly lazy, and the number of dumb things we did, the penalties we gave away, and I mean, I think Tamua said it as he came off the field at half time, where we just let them march us down the field time after time. We can't maintain pressure without um, blowing it. Um, we, uh, you know, if you look at where we scored our try, we saw one try in the first five minutes or first 10 minutes or so, um, just five metres out. We seem to rely on the rest of the game that we're going to be able to do that. The Yarpies were going to let us over. They didn't, except for that overthrown line out. Um, we had no mall defence. Uh, in, in fact, we didn't even seem to know how many numbers to put into a mall. Without Coleman, we don't seem to have anybody or any idea of how we're going to stop uh, malls. I can't remember one thing that backline created um, in the whole match, I think, um, except for maybe um, that very first run in the in the first 10 minutes. Um, uh, other than that, uh, a great win. So is that is that captain negativity or does any of that no, you true? Look, that was a long list, but the thing that really jumped out at me, and I just want to hone in on this a bit, is did you just call the South Africans the Yarpies? Because I think that's under underused. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. Are you bringing it back? Look, I, I, I do agree with a lot of that, but I, I do see a slightly different lens on what was going on with Genia, which was that, you know, the 9, 10, and 12 combination simply didn't exist. So all the play was coming off Genia, and he had to basically wait for someone to yell, oh, it's going this way. I mean, he was having to direct the play as well as deliver, and we've seen before how badly that goes. Um, the... Beal just wasn't offering anything. I mean, you know, which isn't a real surprise. I mean, Matt Tamil would have gotten off a plane on Monday and then they would have been told that they were playing together, but they just had no combination at all. And as you say, they just weren't able to create anything out wide, which meant that Genia had to do all the thinking as well as the executing. I think you're getting it. Th- I think that's question two. And we'll probably touch on that a little bit, Jamie, but I think a cu- just two things before we, we move on to that. Um, Firstly, I'll stick up for Jack Maddox. I think I think Matt's probably put the boot into him a little bit unnecessarily. I think he's twenty. He's twenty one. He's starting in his first test, I think. Um, and obviously, you know, who's to know as to what organisation was done during the week? But he was put in late. Um, and again, on the back of a backline that wasn't working. So I mean, you sort of being thrown in the deep end there, and I didn't think he did much wrong, to be honest. He, he certainly didn't make any mistakes that I saw. So I think there's enough to see, you know, these worth persisting with. And uh, as I said, he's still 21. And and broadly, the point about attitude you made, Matt, was was a pretty good one. I think that was that was the the really sad part of as a Wallaby fan, is, as some of the mistakes that were made were made because of the lack of willingness to to get to the get to the ball. Um, and it, it happened on a number of occasions. I mean, remember that quick line-out the South Africans took in their own 22 because Kurtley Beale put a great touch finder in, but no one chased it. And so, yeah. you know, that that was one of them. And then Michael Hooper was the only one chasing a kick, a penalty kick that from Tamua that, that clanged off the post. And, you know, if, if he had any support there, we might have actually made something of it. So, I mean, there were a few examples, and, and I think, 
you know, we, we got our heads in the game in that second half and that was that defensive effort in the last 15 minutes was good to see. But we, we gave them enough ins in the, in the first 50 minutes that uh, we shouldn't have even been in that position. Can, can I just and add I, one other thing, which was the first kick that we had of the game was the conversion from that Michael Hooper try. And I think everybody in the pub I was watching at was expecting Reese Hodge to step up and do the goal kicking. And then Matt Tamua, who hasn't kicked at the top level it, like professionally for, for 10 years, I mean, he did it as a junior and an under-20s guy, stepped up to the ball. I, I was stunned. I mean, it was his first kick in Test Rugby. I don't think anyone expected that he would be doing the kicking, and he was, he was really good at it. Um, the only one he missed was that one that hit the post, and other than that, looked pretty decent, eh? Well, I don't know if he's been if he's been doing it over in in the UK. Um, is it is it Leicester Tigers where he's been? Has he been doing it over there? I think he's I the backup. Know. I think he's the backup there. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I probably would have expected Hodge, and it was great to see Hodge slot that one. What a difference that makes. I mean, look, as much as I was bitching about us um, only scoring two tries and one of them a gift from the Saffirs, what was refreshing, I would say, is us taking points and winning a game with it. How's that? Like, you know, was it, well, in the end, we won by the three penalty goals, basically. Um, it, uh, you know, putting, you know, in, in a tight test match, putting the points on, not just thinking you have to go to the corner every time and including the, the what a difference having somebody who can strike from over 50 you can make. Um, you know, that got us within the point at half time. And, and then, um, you know, the two from Samua got us ahead by the end of the match. Um, in, you know, in the past, you know, you miss a few, you know, when Foley's not on having a good game, you know, you, there's, you, you're nowhere near that. So, I mean, that was a difference. And I should say, me saying about Jack Maddox not being up to it right now, as you said, Hugh, um, you know, he's how many, uh, how long has he been around, is not to say he won't get there. He's clearly a talented guy. I'm just talking about where he is right now. And it, which is an interesting situation when you then think, because can, can we talk Corabetti for a second? Where, 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 where's, he, where's he at? I think we all kind of thought, oh, he's this big bullocking guy. Every now and again, he does something fantastic or has a great game in sort of defensive committedness. But then there's just so many missed tackles and there's penalties. And I, like, I'm not quite sure where I am on him. Um, in, like I say, on the weekend, he was, he was a liability. Um, Jamie, you, you, you've usually got a few things to say about the, the skill sets of our wingers. Where, do you, where are you putting him? You know, I don't know what you're implying there, Matt, but um, <laughs> no, look, I think I think like most of the options available, some really good things, some really bad. You know, his, his physicality in defence is great. Um, he just lacks that game sense. He doesn't know how to get himself involved in the game, um, but I think they'll persist with him a bit longer if only because they, they need a, a hard front-on defender in the line to compensate for some of the other guys, and, and he is that guy. I mean, he showed us against Ireland how damaging he can be in defence. Um, and he did have a couple of good moments against the All Blacks, actually, come to think of it. But, uh, look, I'm not I'm not willing to throw him out yet. But Maddox, I, I do agree with you. I mean, he is only 14 years old, but uh, just yeah. at the moment he's, he's not there yet, and they probably should have gone with Banks instead of him. You know, we'll wait till he starts shaving and then throw him in there. Um, but, but look, let's then hone in on one of the big discussion points, uh, which was the Tamua Bill Nexus. Now, I think they're talking about Tamua, you know, Tamua's got 10 on his back, Bill's got 12. I think we already saw that they were, you know, we probably expected they were going to, no, sorry, it's the wrong way around. 
Beal's got 10 on his back, Tamu's got 12. Um, but I think we all expected that we'd see that kind of um, swapping around. As an ex-forward, not an ex-back, I don't tend to take too much of a note exactly how that played out during the game. I just kind of just see where, see where they sort of turn up. Um, how did you think it ran, Hugh? Were you, did you, how did you feel the combo went? Look, I'm, I'm, I like both players, but I just don't think the combo fired particularly well. Although, you know, Michael Checker's flag is going to get run it again against Argentina. I think it probably, you know, probably showed enough that we could see and uh, see it again. And I wouldn't object too strongly to that. I do think that picking up on what you were saying, um, and sorry, what Jamie was saying about organisation, that that neither of those two players are particularly good organisers. Um, and as much as I'm, you know, on the fence about him generally, Bernard Foley is that organiser. Um, and he's got, you know, his game's got some flaws. But, I I mean, my, my suggestion during the week was that, you know, is it time that we look at Israel Folau on the wing or Kurtley Beal on the wing um, and Matt Tamura at 12? Uh, with Bernard Foley at 10, because when Foley came on, he only was on for you know, 15 minutes at the end and didn't didn't really have a, a huge impact on, on our attack. But what it was, was you just felt a little bit more structure in, in, in the minutes that he was on. You just felt like the attack was a little bit more square and a little bit flatter and, and just firing a little bit better. Every time we had a set piece or, or um, you know, any sort of, opportunity to use our back line. I felt like Kurtley Beale's first option was to run himself and his second option was to shovel a pass and, and it really stifled our backs and I think barely think Reese Hodge touched the ball. So, you, you know, they're both... Beal and Tamura are both great players and I thought Tamura had a really good game. His defence was, was outstanding but um, I, I feel like they just... Uh, I mean, neither of them are, are, are the organiser and the, and the drummer in the band, so to speak. Um, and I think that's Bernard Foley. I think I think the others need that organiser to feed off, and and that's probably you know Beal injecting himself from fullback or from wing, and and Tamua using his physicality from twelve, and and that's where I see I see that going, and that also takes a bit of pressure off Genia. But look, you know if, if there's another ten prospects that come through, I welcome it. But for now, I think that's what we've got. But um, Either way, it looks like we're going to see them again against Argentina, and and um, you know they might be sensational and, and, and prove me wrong. So I hope they do. See, this is this is so funny. The the metaphor you just used, I think, says it all. Where you see the role of the ten as being the drummer in the band, I would probably see them as being the front man, um, the guy who's out front, who's writing a lot of the songs, who's directing the play. But you see them as the drummer. Is that is that right? Yeah, as soon as I said drummer, I thought that metaphor was, you know, because the drummer <laughs> is the one that sort of sets the tempo. Yeah, in Genesis. Yeah, yeah. In, the, the Phil Collins. Well, maybe, yeah. Well, maybe more of a Dave Grohl kind of character, the drummer and <laughs> lead singer, you know. Um, so he does a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, Good. exactly. The, 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 to mix metaphors, the one I used this week about someone suggesting to me that Matt Tamua could play 10, and I, I, the one I said is Tamua to me is more of a Garfunkel than a Simon. Um, you know. <laughs> that's, that's epic shade. That is that is mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's he's a good second banana, and, and I think that's Matt Tamura's role. I, I don't think he's he's a. Oh man! To, to, be, uh, to be fair, so burnt the, by that man. To be fair, the Dave Grohl reference does remind me that like fifteen of the players on the weekend were wearing these terrible goatees, um, which was bad enough. But I loved. Curtly Beals, what he described as a used car salesman's Cliffy Lyons mullet. 
Um, <laughs> I thought that was very strong game. Um, might might try to grow one myself actually. Uh, so where, where where would you have them, Jamie? How would you how would you line these up, and would you um, would you yet be thinking about bringing back Bernard Foley, the Dave Grohl of Australian rugby? <laughs> yeah, look, I think I think it's worth uh, worth trying different things, but I do think that. Beal at 12, I mean, it's not rocket science to say that he looks much better when he has more space to use his acceleration and footwork. And at 10, close to the ruck, he doesn't. So it really has to be Tamua directing the traffic and Beal a little wider. And I was, I guess, not surprised because Cheka pulls out all sorts of weird stuff. I wasn't surprised to see Beal at 10, but I was surprised not to see them interplaying a lot more in practice. Um, but I think if you switch them round probably worth giving it a go. Um, I think Tamua brings, he'd bring something different. He's great in defense and he's got a, a really natural kicking game. He's, he's a natural vision player, I think on the field. Uh, and that's something we could do with. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, for, for, for mine, actually I thought where, if I remember rightly, where Checker was using Tamua before he got one too many head knocks and then went overseas was, as that straightener at 10. Um, and when Foley's on song, that's what he also does, which creates the space um, for, for Beal and, and Falao out wide. Um, both very straight runners. Tamu is also a fantastic defender in that channel. So I realise that just because of the number on their back doesn't necessarily mean where they'll be um, sta- you know, standing in the line. But, yeah, f- for me, I would have been thinking um, Tamu at Tamura at 10 and, and, and Bill's quite the opposite. I mean, how many times do we see him kind of doing that cross field run, looking for runners to kind of drop off, you know, to kind of maybe run an unders line on him, but you can only do that so many times and then you just get smashed, which, which started to happen. Um, okay. Let's move on. Question three. What will the Wallabies have to do to beat the Pumas? Jamie. Ah, uh, well, having judged by seeing what Argentina did against New Zealand on the weekend, they're going to have to play a lot better. Um, but specifically, they're just going to have to defend out wide better. I mean, their 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 defence in the 15-metre channels has been really poor this year. And that's not just the wide guys. That's also the, the forwards. I mean, picking Luke Antui at six and then asking him to play wide does come with a cost. Um but, you know, Argentina have got a lot of firepower and uh, I think they're really going to push on a weakness of ours. Conversely, um, you know, I think our ability to retain the ball is good because the Pumas have been well known to, to fall into discipline traps and to just start doing stupid things. So I think the more that we can hold the ball, the more we can keep it for phase after phase, the more likely we are to, to help them implode. That's what I reckon. What do you think? Um, look, I mean, I haven't seen, I've only seen skerricks of highlights of, of the Pumas. I've been really impressed by how comfortable they are ball in hand. Um, and actually quite electric, um, from that perspective. And I agree with you that could really cause us some headaches, um, out wide. Hugh, have you seen much? And I mean, what do you, I mean, you know, set piece, we've had a few groans, especially at the line out. Um, if we have another one of those games like we did against the All Blacks where the line out completely implodes that could be a big headache yeah it, it could i mean look i just want to see us front up physically i mean as with anything with the pumas you've just got to you've just got to front up physically and 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 
you know, they're not like the team of old. I think we we fall into these traps of assuming that oh well, Pumas are strong at set piece and and you know they're fairly stodgy and play a kicking game. That hasn't been the case for years. They play a they play an offloading game um, that is is fast and up tempo and actually they're quite weak at set piece. Their scrum is quite vulnerable and it'll be interesting to see. You know the big selection dilemma will be do we start Taniela Tupo because. I think um, it's almost time. You can feel it. His performances have been so strong, and I hope that injury is fairly minor. Um, because Alan A was 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 shown up in the, in the scrum against the Springboks, um, and it might be time for someone else to have a crack. Um, I I think that offloading game is so key to them that that um, and their backs their outside backs are scintillating, and I think. The, the two things I'd say is just that accuracy in defence, and you just can't slip off tackles because as soon as you do that and they and they make a half break, that's where they're liable to throw an offload and get behind you and really cut you open and throw some of their really their their faster wingers behind behind the line. Um, and I think it's it's about not giving opportunities on the counter too. I mean, that's the, you know it's accuracy in defence and attack, and it's sticking to the basics. That's what I'd like to see this week. And and you know they're playing on the Gold Coast for some unknown reason um but um you know it, it'll be if we can we continue that last 15 minutes that we showed in defense and can we in attack just control the tempo of the game i mean um the rgs are going to want to play fast and up tempo whereas i think it's it's actually in our interest to slow it down a bit and and plug the corners and, and see if we can pin them in their own territory and force an error because the, the game that they play is is that is you know high octane, but it's also high risk. And and if if we can start forcing them into errors and those heads go down, um, it can turn ugly pretty quickly for them. But uh, you know, a few of the passes stick and, and and things start to go well, then then they'll fire they'll fire up, and it could be a real a real challenge for us. Jamie, where are you on the the Tupo thing? Would you have him starting yet? I would. Uh, I think. You know, it's the same picture that Queensland's long-suffering Super Rugby fans have seen all year, which is when he gets one-on-one in the scrum, every prop struggles to deal with his power. Um, and then on top of that, obviously, he's got other things he brings in the loose. But, you know, really, without him coming on the field on Saturday, we probably would have lost that game. Um, though there were a lot of obvious jokes in the pub when he he'd had that awful scrum collapse and ended up on his back and seemed to have a neck injury and i think everyone in the pub simultaneously was thinking what neck like how how could a doctor <laughs> locate a neck injury on that i mean he's just he's very powerful but he's also professional like he doesn't he doesn't mess around on the field he knows his role he does it very well uh i definitely think it's time uh, okay look the, the... Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I, I've got to say, I've probably been in the camp for him to be uh, the, that finisher and bring the impact, but I'm I'm not sure that we've seen as much as that. You know, I'm not sure it's giving him the the chance that we'd hope that we would have seen. Um, my only slight reservation I've still got is I just when you become that starting prop, um, you know, if you if you get found out and if they know you're starting and they know how they're going to work you round. Um, I just wonder, you know, and then if you know the the ref starts seeing the shape he doesn't like, um, Tupo definitely pushes in, and if someone starts pinging him on that, you know, then he becomes this guy who's kind of got that over his head um, in terms of, you know, and so I just, I don't know, we 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 don't need another prop sort of marked um, as a penalty magnet. Not that that's happened so far, which is great. So you know, maybe it's time to give him a go. Um, 
He's had a few bench starts, so why not? Um, okay, let's move on. Question four. What's wrong with the rugby championship? Now, Hugh, you've got an article on the site um, for those who are living in a cave and haven't read it. Uh, what's your basic thesis here? Well, the basic thesis is essentially that we're, we're at the seven-year point now of, of Argentina being in the tournament. It seems like it's actually a lot more recent than that, but... Uh, 2012 was their first year, so we're in the seven year, seventh season, and it's a real case of seven-year itch, I think, where everything just seems to be going through the motions. Um, and the fact that the draw has been the same every year doesn't help that at all. In fact, it's probably the leading cause of it. But um, Why, it the, why like the hell the, do they do that? I mean, I, just, I don't um, know. Why, they, why the hell do they do it? They do it for the Australians. It's the Aussies who don't want the Bledisloe matches to be conflicting with the... NRL and AFL finals. We're the biggest factor in that. Ah, I never heard that. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's dead uh, right. Uh, and actually, it goes back to John O'Neill. Was it was was negotiated in his time? Actually, I think uh, two thousand and eight or something like that. Goddamn Aussies! Anyway, so so essentially that you know we're following the same pattern every year. Not only in the draw, but in the results. We see New Zealand rolling over us in the first two games. Meanwhile, South Africa and Argentina you know, play out games at 3am that nobody watches and South Africa generally wins. And then they come here and we play out a dire game that generally finishes 23-21 to somebody. Um, and we're picking up the pieces after Bledisloe Shamozzle. Um And then we, you know, the Argies go and play well in New Zealand but get steamrolled in the last 20. The Argies come here and they underperform and we beat them fairly comfortably. <laughs> um, and South Africa in New Zealand generally fail as well. So then we end up, you know, with the last round of of games that, again, follow a fairly predictable script, and it's New Zealand taking it out while Australia, you know, uh, battle it out with Argentina in Argentina and and South Africa in South Africa. And actually, they're the games that hold a bit of interest and could probably go either way. So, you know, we, as a result, I think I've been finding my attitude towards this tournament partly because of the Formula Wallabies, but partly just because of the structure of it. It's just a bit of, bit of who cares, you know? And, and I think it's time that we just get a, a bit of a shot in the arm to the thing because at the moment it's just it's just feels like you're going through the motions. And much like Super Rugby, it just, you know, we're kind of just killing time while New Zealand wins and, and what's the point of the whole thing? Um, and especially as an Australian fan where you see, you know, you lose those first two Bledisloe games and the wind goes right out of the sails and... And, you know, we're playing for the Mandela Plate, which I've said is now just the silver medal in the rugby championship. And, and it's a bit of a who cares cup. Um, and I think it was the case again on the weekend where we saw only 27,000 in Brisbane. And and rightfully so, really, it's a game that really meant nothing in the grand scheme of things. And while I was happy to get the win, it's not pretend it meant anything particularly, you know, um, important to, 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 to Australian rugby at all other than just getting a win. Yeah. And, and what was your um, proposed solution, and, and well, how strongly did you feel it was? Feel just it an was idea. Like I, right you know, I hadn't, I hadn't given it a huge amount of thought. But I mean, the idea of introducing a final or, or a knockout component, where you have a, you know, we play each other once, and then it's one v four and two v three, or you know, just some element of of giving the games a bit of meaning beyond you know Bledisloe Cups in Australia and and that sort of thing. Um, it's um, yeah, it's it's. It, you know, just a little bit of outside the box. And yeah, it, it might fail and, and it might just be another New Zealand victory and giving the All Blacks another opportunity to wipe someone off the park. But um, 
I don't know. It's just it, it might just give a little bit of a new dimension if if the All Blacks can be knocked off their perch. I, I don't know, mate. But you know, certainly Reg suggested, and, and he's not here. But you know, do we go back to a three-game series that, that's been working so well mid-year? That do we do we have two three-game? You know, in the in the space where we play this six weeks, do we play two three-game series, one at home and one away, and you know, and, and we rotate through it's South Africa, Argentina, and New Zealand every third year, and 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 that's just the the way we play it. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely, I'm I'm all for a one-game Bledisloe series. <laughs> Um, it always in Brisbane. Um, Jamie, how do we fix this mess? Uh, well, look, I think Hugh's spot on. You know, he's, he's the structure being the same every year is not good, and the fact that the structure doesn't work for us is not good. But I mean, ultimately, it's just about the performance. The, the reality is that Australia and South Africa, both the last four or five years, have, have sucked. I mean, we've just been terrible. Um, you know, I remember going over and to South Africa a couple of years ago and seeing South Africa play New Zealand in Durban and they were just just terrible. I mean, completely outclassed. And that South African side beat the Wallabies in Pretoria the week before. And I think that's really what it comes down to is we 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 can only look at ourselves and the the struggles in our play. If we were playing better and if we were winning, then the structure wouldn't be a problem. And uh, I sort of feel generally the same about this as I do about the Super Rugby, which is the structure can only change so much, and we actually have to start winning. If we if we're still playing as badly as ever, it's not going to do much. Yeah, unless we, yeah, sort of maybe we have games set up. The All Blacks have to play two games on a weekend, something like that. Yeah, but maybe uh, two on the same night. Like double headers are all the rage, and I think yeah. maybe if they played one game in Auckland and then had to fly back to Sydney and then play the Wallabies in Sydney, I think that might be a structure that would work for us. I don't think it would be. I'm not sure it would be dead cert, but anyway. Um, yeah, it might give a bit more of an uphill struggle. Yeah, look, I can only agree <laughs> that um, that it's, yeah, it just feels tired, doesn't it? Um, it does. It does. And, and, and I think you started your whole point there, your whole article, um, Hugh, just saying, just not feeling the excitement. You know, does anyone sit there going, "Oh, thank God, the you know, rugby championship starting"? Um, yeah, it's yeah, it is definitely a bit ho 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 hum. Something needs to be injected. And but look, that's okay. You know, you know, it, 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 you sometimes you just need to shake stuff up, and if, whether it's the you know, a couple of three games, why not? Um, see how it goes. It's not like this is some amazing thing that has been going forever and they're going to lose a tradition or something. So, yeah, I, I think it definitely needs some changing in one way or another, um, get some interest back into it. I wonder whether we need to mix it up and maybe have a visiting side or two visiting sides or something. Um, does it have to be, you know, like I'm sure the Sanzar guys will, would say, well, why else do we exist? But, um, you know, how do we get some interest into it? Um Okay, that's the fourth question. Let's move on. Around the grounds, uh, catch-all for insert anything we want to wang on about here, um, including um, the NRC. Uh, Hugh, did you want to kind of give us a bit of – where's the NRC sort of up to? I think uh, we had our first weekend last weekend of the NRC, did we not? Well, in Sydney, that's a very Sydney-centric view, Matt, a very New South Wales-centric view because (laughs) – Is there anywhere else? Um, (laughs) Okay. We're here. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, here there's so, some very exciting rugby down in Tasmania these days. You know, Adam Coleman and his 14 family members are, you know, really, 
really playing well down there. We really should cover all geographic areas equally. <laughs> Isn't that right? Oh, of, of uh, course, and, and we'll be throwing to our South Australian correspondent later. Um, but <laughs> the, um, the the NRC is a bit of an interesting state because it looks like, much like last year, that the Fijian Drua um, are the sort of the testing material, the class sacks of the comp alongside the Western Force. Um, and they are both out in front on, on two from two, as well as Queensland Country, who had a cliffhanger victory um, over the Melbourne Rising, also who are, you know, putting forward a, a pretty decent side, including Big Easy Nicerani in, in his first appearance for in the Melbourne Colours. So he's one to watch there. Um, uh, the Canberra Vikings as well have, have started started with a win and a loss, but they had a big win over the Sydney Rays. And in fact, the the underperformance of the New South Wales clubs continue with with the Rays and Country losing their first games over the weekend. And you think with the Shoot Shield final being the week before, um, you know, not a much time in camp for those either of those two sides. So um, you think they're going to get better as the tournament wears on, but um, it's not looking good so far. And yeah, Fiji putting 60 on Brisbane City. Um, again, with guys like Quade Cooper in the side. So um, that is where that competition is at at the moment. And this week we've got um, Fiji's first trip on the road, I believe, and they're coming to play Queensland Country. So that's going to be an interesting clash with last year's winners against the current top-of-the-table team. Um, and then that's followed by the Country Eagles against the Rising, Rays against Brisbane City, and the Canberra Vikings against the Western Force. Um, so, interesting times in the NRC, and, and I must admit, I haven't caught a huge amount of it. I've seen a couple of games, but I, you know, much like everything else, a bit of a malaise in in, uh, in Australian rugby at the moment, you'd suggest. And, and it's probably, you know, it, we've seen some good crowds in the NRC, but also some light crowds. It's probably too early to tell yet uh, as to how it's all resonating. But, um, yeah, I, I take it that... Uh, that you guys haven't haven't caught much NRC, but uh, let's let's hope we can we can see some over the weekend because certainly some good young players running around at the moment. And Reg just put up his team of the week on greenandgoldrugby.com, and I encourage um, everyone to check it out because there's some names in that list that you should be certainly keeping an eye out for the future. Taniela Tupos and Isaac Rodders of the Australian rugby scene, um, which just, as, as well uh, as some of the future stars of Fiji and rugby too, because obviously the uh, the Drua uh, dominate that particular list, given how uh, good they're going in in the, in the competition. Uh, Frank Lamani, the halfback, is one of my favourites actually, and he he's a name to look out for, and and once again dominating the NRC from halfback. So that's um, yeah. yeah, that's my contribution to the uh, around the grounds. I want to build on just one thing you said there, Hugh, which was that with the Shoot Shield final being last Saturday, the two Sydney teams had only trained twice before playing, as opposed to the Western Force have been playing for four months. Um, but on top of that, when Rob Simmons got pulled out to have to fly to the Gold Coast and play for the Wallabies, uh, someone actually stood in, got the call at like, you know, midday on Saturday and then played with the team, having literally never trained with them. Um, and I think there was another late injury withdrawal as well. So they had two guys on the bench who had, who had never trained with the team. I don't think it's too much to ask that the NRC teams at this level have actually played together, uh, have actually met each other. 
Um, and I think the schedulers obviously have to do a much better job of creating a situation where that's not the case. Um, because I think the Sydney teams are quite decent, but they haven't had the combinations that the, the Brumbies B team have been organizing, the Rebels B team, the force. And how could they have when, you know, there's a guy throwing to a guy in the line out and he doesn't know what the guy's name is on the day. So this is a bit bit of a hangover basically of like the power play that's going on though. Remember like it was only a year or two ago where, you know, the, the, the shoot shield, you know, literally deliberately sort of put there with threatening to have the final on the same weekend and all sorts of stuff um, because it, you know, isn't rugby politics like the saddest form of, of politics, if not of like human life? Like who gives a (laughs) shit? Like really? Um, uh, but it's yeah, it's, it's it's that old thing, you know. It's old. You know, I think the 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 shoot guys had said that you know they'd actually reduced their number of games or they they moved out and and you know they felt felt that they'd given stuff up and then you know the NRC didn't give back and the the AI you know AIU or Rugby Australia didn't do that. I mean, look, yeah, it's all old stuff. But you're right, the timing doesn't seem um, too good. So Jamie, you need to start pulling your head out of your ass and watch more. Um, <laughs> say, mate. Yeah, no, 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 no. The problem's together. on me. Yeah, it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And, and, uh, any more from any more? I mean, um, how? Uh, yeah, how confident are we feeling about our game on the weekend uh, against the RGs? Hugh, what do you reckon? Look, I mean, going off my rugby championship gripe, I mean, it seems to follow the similar pattern every year where. Where where the Argies sort of don't produce the form that they're capable of. Um, that said, you know they've they've beaten the Springboks and they look good against the Wallabies. This, you know, Mario Ledesma is obviously making a um, a big impact on this side. So look, at, I'm looking forward to it being a close game. I think we might just have a bit too much class, um, but um, you know, a, another week and it's another opportunity to see if this team can develop any further because you know. We talk about, you know, the, the, the Springboks win was a nice one to get a bit of a monkey off our back. But uh, if we lose this game to Argentina, well, you know, the, it's right back on there. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a must win, you'd think. Speaking of class, though, do we know if either Falao or Pocock are defo back? I mean, obviously the team's not announced, but I mean... I don't I've, I've a, heard Falao train today and looked 100%. So I'd, I'd suggest that Falao's coming back. I'm not sure about Pocock. Okay. And just look... <laughs> On that whole Pocock, the neck roll, um, which it, I think everyone's putting his injury sort of down to, I'm, I'm just still puzzled with all the directive from world rugby around the sanctity of the neck and how how on earth did none of those things, none of those neck rolls at him seem to go punished? Um Jamie, you've, you've, you know, obviously you watch these things quite closely. What's the what's the disconnect here apart from between the vertebrae in uh, <laughs> C6 and C7 and, and David Pocock's back? Yeah, the, the disconnect is the referees get given directives to focus on area X, Y, and Z, which necessarily means other things get deprioritized. That's number one. And number two is they don't think about the, the broader picture, which is all foul play, in a sense, is is equal, you know, by degree, if it's by different types. And what happened to David Pocock is extremely dangerous. I mean, it's it's probably more dangerous than your average lifting tackle. 
And when you look at that replay of that last neck roll, the one that meant that he he couldn't even give the interview after the game square on to the camera, um, I mean, that, that looks to me like at least a yellow card, but possibly a red card offence. I mean, it's extremely dangerous, and it's it's just crazy that the TMO wasn't able to spot that if the touch charge and referees weren't. I mean, it's the, it, there's, there's no excuse for it. Um, and I think, uh, I think hopefully this will have created a lot of change in that area. And, uh, Sansa have said that they're going to focus on this now, but that inevitably means another area will get deprioritized. So look, we'll wait and see. It seems amazing. All right, guys. I think we've nailed it. I think, uh, that's it tonight. Thanks for, thanks for joining me. Crushed it. Crushed yeah. it. And I don't know, did we mention about the, 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 uh, million listens that we've had? Um, it's, it's actually probably been more than that. This is just, um, on the, this kind of the, the, the sort of SoundCloud platform that we're on, but, um, it's a pretty, pretty amazing thing. I guess we, you never knew. Well, it's not like it was a target we set, but, um, yeah, we've been listened to, um, one million times, Hugh, which obviously, you know, has filled your bank balance. I know that. Oh yeah, but you think we we could have afforded some better audio equipment in that time, couldn't you? <laughs> well, this is currently coming to you from my um, Apple earphones <laughs> connected to my phone, so um, we've you know steadily upgraded. Um, but anyway, oh, thank God. you, indeed. But thank you everybody who listens in, letting us um, come in your ears, and we'll um, speak to you again next time. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a beer.